Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Happy Independence Day, Redcasters. No, it's not July 4th, but we are recording this on June 11, 2020, which is the 10th anniversary of Nebraska formally announcing that we were joining the Big Ten. Yes, it is. Oh, how do I miss Stillwater and Waco? Oh, no, wait, I really don't. <laughs> I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Hey, we have a little bit of news to talk about this show. Uh, some good news and some bad news, and but uh, we'll we'll touch on that later. I'm looking forward to this. This is like breaking news by Mac. <laughs> I'm also with Boomer. Well, I just wanted to echo the the excitement of the, our 10-year anniversary of being part of the Big Ten and just uh, reminding the Redcasters that the uh, traditional gift for the 10-year anniversary is tin and aluminum. So I think that bodes really well for the Freedom and Heroes trophies this year. Coming to Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. That is great. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years and uh, the Big 12 is in the rearview mirror, that's for sure. And at least in my opinion, I don't regret it at all. I know that maybe sometimes the wins have not come as what we've wanted on not only the football field, but uh, many of our uh, sports programs. But uh, eventually, I think they are going to get there. And I would rather be in the Big 10 uh, than the Big 12 any day. So, you know, Honky, uh, it's uh, going to be an interesting summer around here uh, on the Redcast as it feels like uh, things are starting to heat up there in Lincoln as the players return. And there's definitely been some changes in the roster. Do you want to tackle that right off the bat? Yeah, Dave. Obviously, the big news from this last week was J.D. Spielman. It was about the worst-kept secret, it feels like, for about the last six months. I don't think anybody should be shocked by it. But uh, he has left, and so did defensive back Henry Gray. So with J.D. and Henry no longer on the team, we now add Isaac Gifford and punter Daniel Cerny uh, from Australia. We add those two guys back into the the scholarship mix, and we're sitting at 80 scholarship players now heading into the 2020 season. We still have one available scholarship that can go against last year's recruiting class, and we have four other scholarships open that can basically go to walk-ons. So right now the focus goes to that who that number 25 player is going to be from last year's class. And, you know, there's a lot of talk of Nadab Joseph. He's a defensive back from Independence uh, Community College. You know, there was a lot of discussion the last couple of days because of J.D. leaving. Should we get another wide receiver to replace him? And to be quite honest with you, Mac, maybe I'll throw this to you. I don't really feel like we need to get another receiver. What would you like to see? Yeah, obviously tight end, right? I mean, we need to start stacking <laughs> these guys up. We're getting dangerously low. I mean, after this tight end and the next tight end, we're only going to have two more tight ends. You know? <laughs> now, obviously running back would be awesome yes. if we could get somebody out there that uh, would be a good, you know, complimentary, you know, proven running back. That would be fantastic. The little depth back there would go a long ways, particularly since we still don't know what we're going to have with Tompkins, which everybody's sort of leaning towards not much, which is disappointing to kind of mm-hmm. hear. And then, you know, there's the Bivens guy, but then Scott and, and Morrison, who knows? But, I mean, we're just – we're still kind of counting on a lot of young guys to produce. That's difficult to, you know, guarantee or feel good about. So if we could get somebody in the – after secondary market as it were Uh, that would be that would be fantastic (laughs) well that's the thing you think about mills and we are as excited about mills as it comes and we think the guy is just he is ready for an azigbo plus kind of senior year yeah and yet if anything happens to him just a bad trip and my gosh knock on wood everything you know but the point is is that right behind him we love ramir johnson he's going to play all season this year there's no more worrying about redshirting him and yet if there was one more guy, if there was a guy that could come in and he's a senior transfer, and I don't even know who it is, but if there's somebody that could come in and give you the kind of production that Mills gave you a year ago, oh, right. I would take that in a heartbeat right now. That would be how I'd want to fill out last year's recruiting class. And, you know, short of that, I don't feel like there's any point in trying to redshirt either of the two freshmen. If we can't find somebody like that to come in, then we might as well go full speed ahead with these guys and get them ready for the year. Because there's, I love Mills, but that's a lot to ask a guy to go bell to bell. I just, you know, we're going to need to have him ready. So that, like, yep. the thing with Ramir Johnson last year is like, maybe we could have not redshirted and played a little bit more and got more out of him and he'd be, you know, more battle tested going into this year. 
And I wonder if, you know, if they could do that over, I bet they might, you know, hindsight being what it is. But, Agreed. Um, but I think with these guys, these two young guys, they offer different skill sets, different body types, and, and a position of need. So there's no point. Just, just get them out there and let them start rolling. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave, the, the last part of the roster management then, uh, Lincoln native, uh, Arizona State grad transfer, Jared Bubak, uh, he is now going to walk on at Nebraska for his senior year. He's coming back. So he, as people recall, he was part of a Nebraska high school class five years ago where we had five guys go power five and only two of them came to Nebraska. But we had a kid go down to K-State. Noah Fant went out to Iowa and Bubak went over to, to Arizona State. So anyways, he's coming back now. He's going to play one more year and do that as a walk-on. And then from the recruiting standpoint, what's happened in the last two weeks, we've added three additions. Sean Hardy the second, he's a 6'3", 190-pound wide receiver from Kingsland, Georgia. Seth Malcolm, inside linebacker, 6'3", 205 from Tabor, Iowa. So we're getting into the Hawkeye State. That's our second guy from there. And he played eight-man football, so this is kind of cool. I like that. Hmm. And then uh, just today, we got Will Schweitzer, outside linebacker, 6'4", 215 from Los Gatos, California. And Dave, I think the thing that's interesting about this to me, right now we're kind of midway through the recruiting class. You know, we're going to get roughly 20-ish kind of players. Right now we're at 10 players. Five of them are within the 500-mile radius. Two are Nebraska kids, two Iowa, and one South Dakota. Five are national, so it's half and half. And the national guys go from California to Utah, two from Georgia, one in Florida. So it is spanning the the entire country from from literally. That's the perfect smattering. Like that's the the percentage in each state. I would prefer too. You like maybe maybe a little more in Texas. I don't know, but I can't complain. That's pretty good. This is the Nebraska. It's the start of what a Nebraska class to me always looks like. And I've said that in the past. I go back to the show number one. I said if we had a twenty person class. Ten of them can come from the 500-mile radius. Ten will be national. And most years, half of that ten from the 500-mile the radius could be Nebraska kids. And right now, hmm. we've already got two. We could get Rollins from Omaha, the tight end. We still could get him. We, we've lost Dickerson and Johnson. There's other kids too, but Zaska and so on. But the point is, that's roughly how a class to me looks like. Hmm. So we're already we're halfway through, but this looks... Like the start of a, a traditional class. You're kind of like a prophet, honky. <laughs> Shocked. Sounds like he actually has put us in thought into this. If we ever get a fullback on the field, I'm I'm going to freak out. <laughs> so um, that's a lot to unpack there, actually. I was trying to actually interject about uh, every minute or so. You guys were just going back and forth. It was fun to actually <laughs> listen. You guys were all just like, ah! Um, first question I had was, uh, it sounded like so... Even though you think running back would be a position of need, that doesn't seem to be likely, right? If it feels like they're going for best position or best player available for the twenty fifth spot, right? Yeah, I would say Joseph, the defensive back. That's definitely if they can get him, that's best player. Yeah. Also, it should be very well noted that um, Ryan Held, who follows us on Twitter, very cool. He knows a little bit more about running backs than I do, and I and he's quite the recruiter. So I guess I will take his expertise on this, that if he feels like his room is solid and he's, he doesn't need to get that extra guy in there, I'm going to trust him on this. Has he said that, Matt? That, that's kind of the point. If there's any coach out there that would look at his room and say, I need that one guy, if there was, it's him. He is going to go out there and get the guy. And has the JUCO connections to get somebody. Correct. So I'm going off of my own kind of preference by saying that. And, you know, who knows, you know, the DB that they're talking about, I mean, that kid could come in and, you know, be the next all-star guy, and I look like an idiot for saying it. But I, I just feel like what we are going to be asking out of Mills, and I know Mills can do it. I mean, my gosh, I'm not concerned about Mills, his durability at all. I love Ramir Johnson just being a full out. You're not redshirting. You're just, just go and play. I think that's a great one, two punch right there. I just would like that one, two, three punch. And, you know, we've got some true freshmen coming in and who knows what we can get out of Tompkins. And Mac, you mentioned Bivens too. I completely, you know, forgot about that. The walk on from Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that room probably is a little deeper than I maybe I'm giving it credit for. So let's uh, talk about uh, the wide receiver group a little bit then um, in light of uh, JD's departure. Uh, this has been the topic du jour uh, on Nebraska sports radio is, you know, how, how big of a loss is this? How good was JD? Were his numbers inflated by certain games that maybe have been trash uh, games that didn't really count, <laughs> you know? And uh, I mean, I, I think there's been enough. I mean, unsportsmanlike conduct uh, broke this down in depth. I guess my question to you guys is, is that 
the stats that JD has, you know, 800 yards all three seasons, the touchdowns, etc. I, I think you can you can spin those numbers a lot of different ways. At the end of the day, uh, what are you going to remember uh, JD Spillman as a Nebraska wide receiver? That's an interesting, and I've I've, I've seen those breakdowns where. You know, they talk about kind of garbage time yardage, padding the stats that way. And, you know, he had some key drops at different points during his career. And at the same time, he was a, he was the lone bright spot on a few games. You know, he'd have some timely punt returns. So he had a little bit of game breaker to him. He was just sort of an interesting guy his whole career here. It was just, he was a bit aloof, a, a, just a different cat and, you know, people always alluded to it. You always heard, you know, the press talk about how JD doesn't do interviews and, He's a relationship with the team is a little different. So at the end of the day, it, he's tied to a very bad run in terms of wins and losses in his career. And that's not his fault. I'm not saying that, but, but it makes that whole, that makes that whole era hard to judge and say, Oh, I wonder how I'm going to feel about these guys later on. It's yeah. Like, I think that's right, Mac. That's where I'm getting at a little bit in the sense of like, you know, you can't, lay the the wins or losses on a individual player but how you remember players are those moments where they potentially kind of win a game or right um really stand out right and like you'll remember ron kellogg because of a you know hail mary pass when he made a play yeah yeah and you're you know uh, Amir Abdullah uh ranks yeah. very highly in yardage uh for nebraska but i remember him Beating McNeese State on on one play single handedly, right? Right. Uh, yep. The yardage because of decades and and different offensive philosophies, et cetera, can evolve. And I mean, is Amir one of the top five backs of all time in Nebraska? I don't know about that, but um, he sure sure won some games for us. And yeah, that, that's probably the the challenge that you have, I guess, with JDs. I think when you're trying to like say, you know. Okay, it wasn't garbage time. Most of his receptions were quality, and he he contributed uh, mightily to this offensive over the last three years. Hockey, you usually make this case of like about replacing yards like that. Sure, we're not going to have maybe one guy next year that has 893 yards like JD did this year, but we're going to have multiple players potentially need to step up, right? And and how well did those 893 yards serve us last year, ultimately. Um, not that well, right? And mm. so, you know, if J.D. would have uh, made a, a play or two more versus Ohio State two years ago and we won that game and et cetera, that's a, maybe a different legacy. But uh, it ultimately comes down to, to making plays, not just catching the ball and getting lots of yards. First and foremost, I mean, I, I thank him for four years here. I mean, he was a red shirt and then played for three years under Riley, under Frost, he, he went through a transition. And as we have talked about many, many times before, transitions are hard. And I think this is kind of signals to me about the end of the transition. This is about the last player, really. Even though we still have some Riley guys that are fourth and fifth year guys that are still on the team, this is about the last player that I really feel is kind of the last transition out from just guys that have either bought in or whatever you want to call it. The guys that are remaining that came here before Frost – I like that group, what I'm seeing there. But but I'll tell you this about Spielman. Ton of production. No one's arguing that. The guy played through pain at times. I know he was injured. Absolutely. Warrior out there. Give him a lot of credit there. I absolutely do. Yeah, I, I also don't want to come off as I was crashing on JD. He was, like I said, a bright spot during some of these times. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed him as a player. and wished, I wish he would have come back, but, you know, chemistry is important. But go, keep going. Well, Dave, you mentioned, you know, he had – 893 yards or whatever it was last year. And to be quite honest, I don't think if he had come back, I don't see him having 893 yards next year because next season I see so much more depth. I think I see things getting so much more spread out and he already had his opportunity a year ago to be the clear number one receiver. And I don't think that's his role. It's a good point. He's been better when he had the Stanley Morgan that was next to him and he could kind of feed off the guy. And so he wasn't going to be the the lead guy next year anyways. I think we already have his replacement. And the reason I'd like a running back, that third running back I talked about earlier, is because I don't want Wandell getting pulled into that role. I want Wandell to be the, yeah. basically the spot that Spielman was, and then we'll have the Omar Mannings or the – uh, Xavier Betts, or people kind of forget about this Chris Hickman guy who was 6'6 and was actually playing 
receiver last year by the end of the year. We've got three guys right there that are outside guys that are 6'3 or bigger that, you know, between the three of them, I'll take the bets that we're, that one of them is at least going to produce. And we've got other guys now coming in. Alante Brown's been in here and, and we have Warner back. And I think Warner's a guy that gets lost in the mix here because he is just your solid, as far as I'm concerned, he's a starter. Whether they whether they start him or not, he is. Warner would be nice, and, and I and I like that too. But it, but at the end of the day, we need some of these these freshmen, sophomore guys, these redshirt guys to be what they were recruited to be, and kind of take those positions over. If you know what I mean, like these guys need. If if we're doing it right and we're getting the right guys here, and, that, and there's a potential there, like Nance, Alante. Um, I'm trying to think of is it Houston and yeah yeah. If they can start playing at a level that they demand some playtime themselves and, you know, Hickman doing his thing out there, I really would like to see that and see that these guys kind of, that we get the athletes on the field at full speed and they're producing. You know, like that will tell me we're moving in the right direction. Well, here, let me ask a question to each of you guys here. And this is something that Chaz brought up on Twitter and I thought it was a really interesting question. And he said, if we were going into a five wide receiver set, just name your five wide receivers. Because we just kind of went through, we threw a ton of names out there. And boy, don't even get started with the tight ends. Like you said earlier, Mac, tight ends, not a spot we need guys, right? I mean, we're, we're just loaded this year. I've got more names than I have positions right now. And there's only one ball. So Dave, I'll start with you. We're going to get, we're going into a five wide receiver set. Who is the personnel that you're going to put on the field with those five wide, you know, in that five wide set can be guys from any position group. I'll, I'll go with Omar. Xavier, Wandell, Alante Brown, and Marcus Fleming. You want some speed, yes, for sure. And you and you want some size there. I mean, yes. you're getting a couple of big body guys. Fleming is. We haven't even seen him play it down, but we've seen him run the ten two. So we know the dude's got a ton of speed. Yep. Alante Brown, someone that can be kind of flexible around. That's interesting. All right, Mac. How about you? Honestly, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hardly change anything from what Dave said. That's about the lineup I would go with. Uh, that's, and that to me would also be saying we're getting the athletes on the field and contributing. So I, I hope that's what it looks like actually when we do go five one. Boomer, I like what everyone said. I think size is the big key to any of these kind of you know Frost esque Oregon offenses. It's kind of one of those things that. If you go back and look at Oregon in their prime, uh, how many of their actual wide receivers can you name? They don't have to be super dazzling wide receivers. They just need to be athletic, and they need to have size for them. That's what makes them successful in this kind of offense. So I think Dave hit the ones that we have coming in. You know, would I like Spielman back? Yeah, I, I would. You know, I think having you know experience and a lot of production is important. Yeah, he was a good player. I wish he would come back. You know, one of the things we talked about a few shows ago was the whole uh, – Oh, Bill Connolly's, you know, SP Plus projections. And uh, sure. one of his big keys was returning uh, receiver production. That was like 30-some percent of his offense, you know, and 30% of it was quarterback. So, you know, everything else is the remaining, you know, 30-some percent. So we are going to be missing a big part of that. So it's going to be interesting to see can Nebraska buck the usual trend of those stats and that kind of algorithm, and can we replace it? And let's see if these new people can step up right away. That's That'll be fascinating to watch, I think, this season. Hmm. The response I gave to Chaz, and I'm thinking a little different. I wasn't just thinking like one play. I was thinking that we're going to get into uh, tempo and we're going to be play after play. And I want to have a different personnel group that can maybe get into different formations. And I put down Omar, uh, Ramir Johnson, Wandell, Hickman, and Warner. And I like Hickman and that combo of Hickman and Omar to have a couple of real big body guys, but then Hickman could also be a tight end if you need him to be. Um, you know, obviously Ramirez got the same kind of speed that you know, even Fleming has. I mean, we're talking, you know, track level speed, and yet he can fall back and be a running back in a certain formation. You know, Wandell can be very flexible. But the point is, everyone that you guys said too, I mean, it's the same thing. Frost wants positionless football wherever possible. He wants guys that can line up in multiple spots. Alante Brown is somebody that they talked about could be a running back. You know, again, I'm going back on what I said earlier. We need another running back. Frost probably has six running backs, you know, that are currently listed under other positions that I'm not even thinking of, right? And so that's the truth of this offense. And when it's running well and when they get the tempo and do all the things they want, they want guys that have different body types and sizes and heights and speeds and everything. 
And um, we're going to have a lot of that. It's got to come together. The experience isn't all there and everywhere. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather have the bodies than just the experience. Because I think the bodies, they've got that. They have the depth. There's something starting to, to brew on offense. And you could argue that they didn't have the bodies last year. Like, if we had a five-receiver set last year, who would have it been? Well, who? yeah, your height had to end up coming from Hickman. Yeah. You know, and that was a redshirt freshman, the guy that they were only going to play for four games. That was the, your only size you had at, at receiver, and he wasn't even a receiver. He was a tight end. Well, now, you know, they just have different options. And some of this, too, a year ago, they were redshirting guys that we've talked about a 100 times before. Maybe they didn't need to redshirt. Maybe they should have just played Ramir. But, you know, what's done is done. And now what you have coming back is you have so many more bodies available to play. And that's... You know, now it's up to these guys got to perform. I mean, at the end of the day, they have to perform. And we're also going to see what the difference is with Austin as a run game coordinator and with Lubick coming in as the, as the offensive coordinator, what roles they play. Well, you know, Honk, you know, with J.D. leaving, that it now makes, I believe, 14 transfers out of the program um, for various different reasons since the beginning of last season I believe I think you had a tweet on that a lot of other people have talked about that as well and Mm -hmm. you know I mean that sounds like a lot but in reality there's a lot of other programs that are in that ballpark especially if you start looking at two-year averages etc so uh, what's your take on on that situation right now I couldn't be less concerned specifically when you look at the actual names that are listed there out of the 14. In fact, I responded to, it was some post on Twitter and ended up getting mentioned in some Barstool article of all things was we got quoted. You're famous, Hulk. Or infamous. Out of the <laughs> out of the 14 transfers, I said that even six of them were walk-ons. Actually, I'm wrong there. There were six walk-ons. You fake news. <laughs> that were in the transfer portal. There are six walk-ons, but there were 14 scholarship guys. But the point is, it still isn't an area of concern to me. Um, right away, three of the 14, I mean, I hate to say it, but Maurice Hunt and Legrone are listed as three of them. So that's kind of a moot point. It's really not 14, it's 11. And you go past that, I mean, outside of JD, not a single one of those other guys would have been starters or probably even major contributors next year. And so that's not an area of concern to me. I also think that continues to be a part of the transition out you know, now we're going into year three, and I mean, he wants to have his guys out there. And one other thing that should be mentioned here, Nebraska had like the largest roster in Power 5 football last year. We had 155 guys. If we lose 20 or 25 players out of 155, just percentage-wise, that's still not as bad as as it sounds. I mean, we have so many players. We're going to lose some walk-ons. We have. We've lost six walk-ons. They're looking for scholarship opportunities at smaller schools. I mean, not, you know, who can knock them? They came here for a couple of years. They tried it out. It didn't work for them. But my point is the transfer thing at no point, and it was starting to kind of get a little bit on Twitter. The the narrative is starting to be written, Dave, that, that you know, Frost is losing control of the team. And I'm like, no, he's not. He's yeah, in complete control. Yeah, you know, Sam McEwen was on one of the radio shows, and I felt he'd handled this question really well or a similar question really well in the sense of like he was saying like you know if this was Mike Riley or someone of of that ilk which was less aggressive in uh, filling in roster spots and okay with 17 people in a class and and not active on you know JUCO etc yeah I'd be really concerned with that type of turnover but the Frost staff is far more aggressive in filling positions they've got a plan and so the turnover isn't as dramatic in the sense that there's tons. Look, look, we've lost tons of wide receivers. We have more of them here now, though, right? I mean, so I, I think you all have to take that with a grain of salt and balance out the oh my god with the it's just kind of how it works these days, especially when you're trying to turn over a roster. Well, Dave, I kind of want to finish up this segment here. We've been talking a little bit of roster management. We've been talking some social media and. Uh, Our unbelievable graphic designer, the Redcast graphic designer, Swobes, he created a second graphic for the last six games of the season. So as you recall in the last episode, we talked in depth about what we thought the first six games would go. And we all gave our plus and minus one and everything. Literally, I think Max said we'd go 7-0, and and I I appreciate that. You got to (laughs) believe. This last six, we know what we're looking at. We're looking at Rutgers. 
Ohio State, you know, Wisconsin, Penn State, Iowa, Minnesota, right? I mean, that's it's, it's a tougher six. And so as we asked Redcasters, uh, you know, what do you think is going to happen here? The vast majority had in you somewhere in that two and four and three and three range. There were some people saying 0 and 6, 1 and 5. We had one guy say 6 and 0. So I guess I want to ask that question again. And Boomer, I'm going to start with you. As we look at this last six, where do you have us in terms of your plus and minus one kind of record for final six? First question is uh, Bob Stoops going to be coaching Iowa? <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't he still contractually obligated to the XFL? Uh, that could be. And in, in, in France, might be contractually obligated to the Hawkeyes until 2047. <laughs> but uh, we'll get into that later. Oh, that is such a tough stretch of games. I mean, jeez. Even if we're rolling at that point, I mean, that's just a lot of tough games. Teams that have given us trouble in the past. You know, I think if you go 3-3 three and three in that stretch, I think that's solid. You know, if you pull four wins off of that, I'd be more than ecstatic, I think, in that, in that stretch of games. I mean, Ohio State, Penn State are tough. Wisconsin at Wisconsin has always been a problem for us. You know, Minnesota and Iowa, those are battles every year. Rutgers is, well, Rutgers, unless Vedral stole the whole playbook and brought it with him. <laughs> That'd be okay. But uh, three to four wins, I think. If we get that, then I that's about where I would expect us to be if we want to call next season a step forward. So anything less than that is is, is a problem. Anything more than that is mm. gravy, and let's, let's embrace it and love it. Well, four wins, I think, yeah, people would be – Living pretty high on the hog there. Dave, how about you? You know, if you kind of had to give a number and then the plus or minus one, kind of like we did last week, what do you what do you think with those last six? Well, I think you want to see three and three. I, I think to Boomer's point, that's what you're going to see progress in. Um, is two and four a realistic outcome? Yeah. Um, and that could still deliver a seven or eight win season, depending on how the first six goes. So that'd be okay. But I think there's an opportunity there. You know, I mean, you have Rutgers to start off in this six. And then, then the question is, is, you know, what can you do against your own, the Big Ten West? And, um, can you pull off an upset? Maybe, you know, Penn State at home, that type of thing. So I, I think three and three is, is what you need to shoot at. Mac? Win, loss, loss, win, win, win. Win, loss, loss, win, win, win. So four and two. Yeah. That's a, that's a minimum. I feel like <laughs> I'm really giving, I'm really giving Penn State the benefit of the doubt. And if I was going to flip one of those, it honestly would, Minnesota, I think will be challenging. Iowa and Wisconsin will be breaking in new stuff. Rutgers, whatever. Ohio State's difficult. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Ohio State is difficult. That's a better statement. That's difficult. Well, listen, we don't know what kind of two-year coach this guy is. We know what kind of year he has after Urban Meyer had the team. We'll see how we'll see how it goes. <laughs> don't don't it, it don't act like it wasn't important. Are you say so are you saying it's four and two plus or minus one? So like we could go five and one, could go three and three kind of deal? Yes. But no. Four and four and two. <laughs> This isn't even hype. I'm sick of it. You know what? It's a kicker way last year for me predicting way better, worse records. Well, like, we have multiple kickers we brought in. Exactly. So, yes, so yeah, this true. is this is it. Yeah. Four and two. Boom. Yeah, Boomer's got a huge smile on his face right now as a special teams coordinator. He's very happy with where we're at right now with that. So, you know, I uh, I said five and one for the first six. Um, I'm going to go three and three here. That's eight and four. Nice. You know, over the course of the season, plus two, minus two when you – Add it all up. I really think, seriously, when I talked with Jeffrey the Greek a couple weeks back, you know, he's with the Eyes on Big Ten podcast, and he said he thinks Nebraska has the largest span of, you know, how good or bad we could end up being. And I really truly believe that. I think six and six to 10 and two, anywhere in between there, I, I can see any one of those. But uh, it starts with being six and six. That gets you to a bowl. And we're definitely going to get to that. I, I don't see any way that we don't make a bowl in this year three of frost the sky's the limit you know past that just depends on we got to make hay in those first six well when you look at the, the last two seasons with frost you can make an argument in a lot of the games that we did lose that if we had played them just a little bit better or smarter we could have won those games or just maybe had a kicker we could have won those games knew your team a little better yeah, yeah so it's not this huge discrepancy in and where we think we are and, and what we need to be it's playing cleaner it's winning a turnover margin and and just consistent play you know like i don't it's not out of the realm of possibilities and i've seen football teams make this turnaround i know it seems like we're cursed so that will probably never happen <laughs> 
happen. And I don't know what it's going to take, but I'm willing to field uh, like ideas. Well, B- Boomer wants a statue of some former coaches from 100 years ago, and I think that I might- mean, that's been that, that's clear as mud. We haven't won the Big 10 since we let Jumbo Steam go to Indiana. I mean, yeah, well, you cannot I'm willing to entertain that more, Mike. Build that statue and we start winning the Big 10. Come on, it's clear as day here, people. Come on. It's not going to hurt anything either. Well, it can't at this point. Give the man his due. It's science. All right, guys. Let's uh, get on our soapbox. Uh, That's our Hero Soap Company soapbox, right? Veteran-owned. Want us to have everyone subscribe to uh, the Hero Soap Company. Go check them out at HeroSoapCompany.com and... Make sure you uh, put down the red cast there and get some awesome soap. Boomer, um, I know you're looking forward to uh, getting some free soap sent to you. Anyone in particular you're uh, looking for? Well, I mean, first thing, if anyone knows anything about the red cast, proper grooming is essential to us. If you've seen some of us. <laughs> True. Well, okay, some of us maybe. All right. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> they do have some quality soaps. I mean, cedar wood and charcoal, you can't go any any better than that as far as I'm concerned. These are some good quality soaps, folks. Good smells. Definitely a little more manly. No chemicals, dyes, fragrance. No additives, none of that stuff. All that type of yeah. stuff. So some good stuff, well worth it. All right, well, on our soapbox here, Honky, you know, in this last segment, we uh, talked about Nebraska's last six games, which, of course, uh, includes Iowa. And um, I think it's an important topic to talk about here as a podcast that covers the Big Ten West closely. And Iowa, our good friends over there, are going through some difficult times with some issues with uh, really coming down from Kirk Ferentz and uh, the entire coaching staff, but in particular their strength and condition coach Chris Doyle, who some uh, players have come out um, over the last few weeks and have had some pretty serious charges uh, about the climate uh, within the Iowa locker room in regards to uh, race and in light of the situation that we've experienced across this country over the last several weeks with the George Floyd uh, killing and uh, the protests that have rocked um, most U.S. cities in response to uh, the George Floyd murder in the Black Lives Matter movement, it's a pretty uh, important topic to, to tackle and there's been some Iowa players that really, some former Iowa players, I should say, that have felt empowered to really express themselves and the, the difficulty of, of walking around that Iowa locker room over the last 20 years. That's how long Chris Doyle's been there. And uh, it's pretty interesting to, to listen. It's a really important topic to talk about as we tackle this as a country. And um, I wanted to hear your thoughts. So, Honky, do you want to start this off? You know, it's... We're not just talking football here. This is, as a country, this is a, it's a somber moment. Uh, we've experienced the protests here in Lincoln, Omaha as well. Dave, you're out there in Denver. Uh, you've experienced it out there. I mean, no one's immune to this. These are issues. I, I'll be very clear with Redcasters listening. I think Dave Fight said it best, and he's, you know, writes with Husker Max, and he made a, a statement where he goes, there's a lot of things to make fun of Iowa for, and we should make fun of Iowa for. And he goes, this is not one of them. And I would agree with that. I mean, this is a really tough moment. It's a tough moment, not just for Iowa. It's a tough moment for the country. And uh, I also hope it's a moment that really leads to to change in the long term that makes this country better and makes us, you know, puts us in a better spot for generations to come. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, I mean, I've gone through equity training through my workplace and what we're talking about here uh, and Boomer Mac, please jump in, is not just... Uh, individual racism, uh, which is in itself a, a massive issue still in this country, but it's more about the systemic racism, as Honky mentioned, that it's the institutional bias that we have uh, in so many of uh, the uh, organizations and functions of American society uh, that we need to tackle. And uh, this is just one example of that, where someone who... Um, feels like it's acceptable to continually say things uh, that may not be um, overtly racist, but ultimately 
have a negative impact on uh, people's lives. It is kind of a concerning thing that we're still dealing with this and, you know, the staff being there for such a long time and it seems like more and more stories are coming out of the, uh, you know, out of history to kind of haunt these guys. But, you know, there's also a lot of other players not coming out about it too. So, you know, more than anything, you want the truth to get out there. You want it to be a fair and honest look at things. But at the end of the day, man, you just can't have that anymore. The times are changing and some of these coaches, um, would be better served getting used to addressing their players in, in a respectful way because it's just changed. Yeah, that's right, Mac. It is about respect, right? And, I mean, some of the stuff that Chris Doyle has, but they, they claimed he said, it, it's not even just a lack of respect. It, it is well over the line. And he would not say the same thing to one of the, the white players on the Iowa uh, roster, I don't feel. Uh, Boomer, your thoughts? You know, it's definitely a sensitive time for lots of people, and it is something that it's tough to tread. You know, it's hard to know where do we go exactly from here. But I think what a lot of us can take from this is let's actually listen to people that are impacted by this. You know, the people that do have concerns, that do have questions that come from this. You know, they're not just a football player that's just, oh, they're there for a scholarship that they should have to take everything that's thrown at them. You know, they have legitimate concerns. They're people. They have stuff they need to say. They have their own perspectives on life and how how they're treated. And they deserve to be treated with respect just like any of the rest of us would expect. So I think this is a, a good opportunity for all of us to actually sit back and just listen to what they have to say. And let's take that into account with how we approach sports, with how we approach life in general. You know, I watched a documentary that was on Devaney. You know, a year that gets brought up that is similar to what we're going through right now, 1968. And at that time, there were a lot of civil rights protests going on. There was a lot of concerns around the country about similar things that we're talking about right now. And as far as from a football perspective, players like Mike Green, Dick Davis, you know, African-American players on the team at that time, they talked about how Devaney got in front of the issue brought it to the team and said, you know, what can we do? What can I do as the coach? What do we need to to do to to improve the situation? And and literally diffused the issue at the time. This is 1968 and he diffused the situation. There were riots going on in Omaha at the time. Okay. So this isn't the first time it's happened. I mean, I'm just trying to bring a little history into it. And what Devaney did helped bring the team together and bring it closer together. And I think I've heard some of the similar things out of Frost here in the last week or two as well. Right now, I, I can, dude. I'm, I'm a 43 year old white guy named Honky. <laughs> you, know, you know, and at the end of the day, I, I have my perspectives and I have my experiences, but they're not the same as someone else's. And I, and I gotta tell you this, guys. This is something we still have it pinned to our Twitter page right now. Um, this is Kenny Cheatham. This is a African American Husker football player from the 90s. Someone I looked up to. Um, he wrote one of the most heartfelt threads I've ever seen on Twitter. I prefaced it by saying a quote from To Kill a Mockingbird. Atticus Finch said, you can't understand someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And Kane Cheatham, he gives you a mile. He he walks a full mile in there. And one of the things that really hit me, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read as much as I, I can to hear. But he goes, once again, rioters burning, looting, destroying property, attacking officers and people are criminals. They have nothing to do with the peaceful protesters nor do they have anything to do with the message. This is not a race war, and do not let the media channels, Fox, CNN, MSN, etc., convince you of such. This is about human rights and equality, so leave your political affiliation out of anything you have to say about it. This is about not having a gun placed to your head over ten times in your life by bad cops. This is about being accused of stealing while reaching for money in your sock. It's about being pulled over while trying to read the addresses on houses while attempting to visit a friend. It's about being stopped at the airplane gate and being asked while you're running in the airport. It's about getting off a plane and you think someone is starting a conversation only to eventually ask what brings you to their city because they're undercover cops. You know, it's about being harassed at 10 years old by bad officers and put in cuffs. Why? Because someone called and said their kids are causing troubles. When the kids that were being called that they were having troubles, they were asking for donations for Pop Warner. And where? In a white neighborhood. I mean, I coached Pop Warner football for 15 years. Dave, Mac, you you coach with me. We're well aware of Absolutely. kids going out and selling popcorn and doing all that stuff. These are things that we didn't have to deal with. 
And I could go on. I mean, Kenny wrote a lot more, and I'm not going to read it all, but I'm just saying that, you know, you don't know what someone else is dealing with until you've walked that mile in their shoes. And I'm reading through that, and dude, I'm almost in tears reading through what he had to go through. And this is somebody, I mean, I grew up, I idolized him. He's a Husker player. I mean, we always try to tie, most, most of the time we talk just football and just sports. I mean, that's our, that's the gig of our show, right? And every once in a while, something else happens. Kobe Bryant, when that thing happened, we, we talked about, but we brought it back somehow to Nebraska. We talked about Hoiberg with him, right? You know, so we always try to bring whatever the issues are we're talking about, we bring it back to Nebraska somehow. Here's a former Husker player that is telling you what his life was like as, as a kid getting put into cuffs and everything. It just, it's awful. I just, I hate it. And my eyes, my eyes are opened up in different ways today than they were. A month ago. Well said, Hunk. Well said. Boomer, you would like to add? Well, I, it's kind of similar to what Hoggy was talking about. You know, a lot of this is it's some angles of life that a lot of us haven't seen before or haven't dealt with. You know, it's just not the experiences we get to have. But I would like to say I, I am actually generally proud of how Nebraska in general has handled these sorts of issues and how we have let protesters give their message out. And I was actually really impressed with the the protests that have occurred in Lincoln and the young people that have run them. We had one day of some, some violence here where there was some gas stations broken into. But generally speaking, you know, I watched, a, I think it would have been, oh gosh, very into May, early June when they were protesting down at City Hall. I watched the live streams of it and I watched the people that were actually in charge of the protests, keeping it under control, keeping those people you know, on message and on point, I was just really impressed with the, with the young people that were running it. And that's the kind of stuff you want to see with these sorts of, with these sorts of demonstrations, just keeping their message in front. Let's let everyone see it. Let, let, we can learn from what they have to say. You know, you don't have to agree hundred percent with everything they say, but that's what you want to see from it. And that's what we want to encourage here. Absolutely. All right, well, it's going to be interesting to see where where this goes for Iowa. You know, it's really mm-hmm. hard to read. Um, so Chris Doyle has now uh, been placed on administrative leave, and uh, there's a further investigation. Kirk Ferentz is reaching out to a lot of the former players and trying to get a better sense of uh, their frustrations and their opinions on this. And, um, I mean, he pointedly has asked them to – give him feedback on if he's still in a position to, to lead that program. And, um, you know, there's there's folks out there, Steve Sipple, who we've had on the show here and is one of our favorite columnists, uh, wrote, I believe, just today on uh, the fact that, it, it, you know, a lot of these things kind of snowball and it's hard to believe Kirk Ferentz might be uh, let go or uh, decides to step down, but that could be an outcome here. And that's uh, quite a turn of events uh, in a short amount of time. Dave, through the course of being on the Redcast, we have built quite a, a friendship with people from different programs and so on. And I think of your neighbor, Iowa Sean, and you know, great friend of, of the Redcast, a former coworker of mine, Kirk, and I've mentioned him on the show before, Jeffrey the Greek, who I interviewed a, you know a couple months ago. I know they're hurting just for their program. I don't want to pile on to something. I don't want, this is not a moment of joy to see them going through this, but this is a moment for Iowa. I I mean, I think you're going to see some significant change. It is really hard to see Chris Doyle at the very least make it through this. And that's a guy that's been there every year that Ference has been there. So, I mean, this guy is, you know, he's been 20 plus years. And for all the two stars and three stars that Iowa has brought in and, and then eventually, you know, sent on to the pros, they have Doyle to thank in a lot of cases. I mean, this is the strength guy that, you know, he is well-recognized for. It's the highest-paid strength coach in America. Yeah. I mean, this is not a small deal in terms of if he is gone, if he ends up being gone. This is not a small – that's not a small thing. The strength coach is so tied into the head coach. That's what makes it so hard to believe on some of this, too. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what Simple made in his article. If you look at the Maryland situation with DJ Durkin and uh, that strength coach um, – they are usually tied at the hip, right? Yep. And we kind of mm-hmm. see that here at Nebraska with Frost and Duvall. And the fact that they've been together for 20-plus years, it's just awfully difficult to, to see where 
any sort of in-depth investigation doesn't lay some portion of the blame on Kirk himself. And uh, then the question is, is, you know, what's the actual repercussions of that? Well, I'll tell you what, man. We, we've done, what, 140 shows now? 10,000 shows, guys. 10,000 shows. <laughs> we've done 10,000 shows. This is our 10,000 show. I'm not going to lie to you guys. This is the most uncomfortable segment. This is the, the most uncomfortable discussion that I, I've had at any point because I don't have the answers. Like, I am so – if we're going to talk about running backs and wide receivers and recruiting and walk-ons, I know it all, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm 100% wrong. I still feel like I know it all. This is different. It's so important, um, but I will say this. I mean, at the end of the day, Ferentz had a really hard press conference on Sunday. They, they didn't go easy on him. They asked him all the hard questions, literally to the point of, do you think you're going to have your job? Hmm. No one's going easy here. And Ferentz says he's going to have to have more answers than even what he gave on Sunday. He's going to have to have answers because there's going to be some really tough questions in Iowa City. There already have been some really tough questions. And, you know, I, I don't know. I literally, we talked about the last six games of the Husker season. I don't know who's going to be on the sideline when Nebraska goes to Iowa City. I have no idea at this point. Yeah, and that's amazing. Um, yeah. But it's a, a topic that they're going to need to address internally and um, – Hopefully, uh, however that turns out in Iowa City, it's better for that program and for the the city of, of Iowa City and the state of Iowa um, to correct some of the wrongs, all of the wrongs that have occurred internally in that program uh, on that topic. All right, Hunk, let's crack open that mailbag. What do you have for us tonight? Well, this is a full week of mailbag here. We've hit all of our social media channels here. For the first time, I think we have an Instagram question. This comes from Jay for Jared. And he goes, this offseason has been dot, 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 unusual. Uh, <laughs> it seems like the first games will show who figured out how to navigate the offseason. So what's Purdue's offseason look like compared to Nebraska? And am I wrong to think that this is the biggest game of the year? Boomer. I don't know if you've studied in depth what Purdue's offseason has looked like, but just is Jared wrong in thinking that that is the biggest game of the year? That's a good question, and I don't think he's wrong at saying it's a huge game of the year. Uh, you know, Purdue last year, Sindelar was their starting quarterback at the beginning of the season, and injuries kept him out of a lot of last year, and he's no longer playing, so they do have to find a replacement quarterback. But, uh, you know, they've got Rondell Moore coming back, so and he'll be presumably healthy for the first time for the first game of the year against us. So that is a huge game for us. And the last couple of seasons, we've talked about how important those first games are. I mean, you still see people on Twitter talking about how, God, if we'd only played that game against Akron, we'd be a playoff contender at this point in the season. So I think we all are aware of how important that first game is to just set – the entire tone for a season. And we saw that with some of Riley's seasons. You lose that first game, and that can totally disrupt the entire flow of a season. So that game against Purdue is is big. I mean, it, it may not be the entire end-all, beat-all of the season, but, yeah, that's going to set a tone early. We talked earlier about, you know, what do we expect for the last six games of the season. That's going to set a lot for the first six games of the season. So, yeah, that, that's an important game. You know, Dave, on one of our last shows, you had kind of made the reference. He goes, you don't want to put too much emphasis on one game, speaking of Purdue. But I guess what are your feelings towards that game in terms of importance of, like, how big of a deal is it right now for Nebraska to get to 1-0? and It's one of those games where if you win it, you want to say it was a really, really big deal. If you happen to lose it, you want to downplay it a little bit. Um reality is probably a little bit in between. I mean, we don't know how good Purdue's going to be first off, right? So, you know, if if we're trying to get just make sure we're bowl eligible, um, that's probably a, a, an important victory. Uh, Purdue's probably in the same boat. But maybe both of us are a little bit better than that, and we both get to seven, eight, eight wins, and that ends up being just happens to be the difference between um, positioning in the Big Ten West, right? I don't know quite yet on that. You know, it's really hard to say, and I don't know when to put my, all my eggs in one basket, whether if we lose that game, are we already saying the season's a, a loss? 
I mean, come on. I mean, if we somehow bounce back and um, go four and two in the last six games, uh, it, it was all or nothing. Though we lost to Purdue in, in week one, I don't think so. Well, thanks, Jay, for Jared from Instagram, uh, and that's at GoBigRedCast on Instagram. Feel free to follow us there. That was a great question. Mac, I'm going to ask you the next one. This one's from Clayton on Facebook. He says, when an upperclassman transfers, is that an indication that the talent behind him is better and he'd rather transfer than be benched? Or does it mean that the program is in such a blank show (laughs) and – I'm replacing the word with blank. Is it such a blank show that they need to transfer in order to salvage something from from their careers? Like everything, it's it's nuanced. It's it's a case by case, but it could be that when upperclassmen transfer, if they haven't been a regular contributor, then it is probably a situation where the guys behind them are better. They haven't produced in the time that they've been here, and the writing's kind of on the wall. Now that could be for a lot of reasons, maybe a uh, you know, a coaching change, which we've had plenty of, so that maybe your position group doesn't fit you the way it used to. Uh, it could be like a chemistry issue with new coaches that didn't recruit mm-hmm. you here to begin with. So there's lots of reasons that could go into it. Um, and, it, and frankly, it happens all the time, and it's only going to start happening more. So I think, I think we're getting real. I guess maybe looking for a story here, and I'm not saying us as a redcast because I've seen this story everywhere. Uh, people are going to come and go now. That's just the way college football is going to work. And and it's just going to be a, just a bit of a revolving door in some cases in a lot of positions. So we're going to have to learn how to adjust with that and go. But as long as the guys that are contributing and you're counting on contributing keep coming back year after year, you know, expectedly, mm. then I have no concerns. You know, JD Spielman is concerning. That is probably the only one in recent years that I could say was concerning. You know, Maurice Washington writing on the wall on that guy. You know, he, he was always sort of a, he was always sort of a prayer anyway to come and work out. So I don't know. No, yeah. I, I don't, I don't see any systemic uh, issue with, with the transfers of upperclassmen. It's, it's just natural attrition sometimes. It's not a big deal. Well, that's a good point there, Mac. I'm going to throw a mailbag question from Jeff on Twitter. And he said it seems like Indy football has a lot of exits and transfers of players, and that worries fans. You know, are there any stats that would show if this is significantly more than any other program, or is this just the way the college football world is now? Um, Boomer, any thoughts towards is this something, you know, that we're seeing a, a more of a issue today than we would have seen 10 or 20 or 30 years ago? I guess the first thing I would say is, you're going to see this more likely than it had been. I mean, obviously, 10, 20, 30 years ago, there was no transfer portal. That didn't exist. It was a lot harder mm-hmm. to to make any of these sort of changes. And if you look at the way college basketball has gone, where, I mean, goodness gracious, I mean, players are here for a year, they transfer, they move to other teams, and then they're in the end, you know, they're in the pros in, you know, a couple of seasons. So this just does seem to be the, the nature of college sports and that's likely going to be the case for the foreseeable future. I, I, I don't see anything changing in the, in, in the near future on this unless something radical happens, and I don't know what that would be. So and this is probably something we're going to have to get used to seeing, just players being able to transfer. And, and in all fairness, I don't have a huge problem with that. It's just kind of the, the nature of the way it should be. Yeah, Dave? Yeah, it's definitely the nature of the business at this point. And I do think we're probably on the high side right now, but there's a lot of reasons you could point to that and just this kind of the roster turnover and, and establishing the new culture adds up. Do I think the numbers will get better a little bit here over the next few years? Most likely, especially if uh, our recruiting is better and lands uh, guys that really contribute. That's going to make a difference. But yeah, I mean, it's just the nature of the game and it could only get get worse, I guess, in the sense of if the uh, transfer rules change, that we're going to continue to see this type of attrition. Mm-hmm. Well, in the last question, Mac, I'm going to send this one to you. Uh, this is <laughs> from one of our favorite followers on Twitter, Richard Fitzwell. Um, <laughs> I'd like to hear your thoughts and opinions on the type of offensive sets, players, previously seen or original, uh, that you would like to see this season. And then he goes on to say he really enjoys the podcast. So, you know, that always guarantees you a, a shot to get a question on here. Mm. But so do you have any kind of <laughs> offensive play, offensive set, players, personnel groups? We kind of talked about that earlier. What are the things you want to see if you haven't already seen it? 
Uh, as far as like in, in my mind, when I picture like a good base set and players, Mills at running back, obviously I will go with Adrian until proven otherwise at quarterback. One tight end, either stole or I don't know if I'm buying into the to the hype vocalic, maybe he's actually the real deal. Or mm-hmm. Austin Allen. I mean, I like his size too. So a tight end. And then a three wide receiver. So you want Manning on there. You definitely want Wandell. And then I don't know. You know, is that Alante Brown? Is that is that the guy back there that would be a perfect set for that? That kind of man, what a what an explosive potential there. So I, you know, those kind of sets, you know, the ability to go heavy. I mean, we're so multiple; it's hard for me to really say a favorite. Sometimes I barely get done counting the set before the ball snapped. It's hard to say, mm-hmm. you know. But I mean, that that for personnel, that's kind of like the more we could get Ramir and Mills on the field at the same time or however those freshmen mm-hmm. come in and shake out like that's what's exciting me like, I don't really give I don't really get too into the starting lineup and even the two deep I'm like if we get some more guys I just want players ready to go and then I know they'll get play time that's really what I want to see I want to see um you know a high level of operation from our young and up and comers to see those guys get on the field that's what excites me for this offense you know, Dave, I, I feel like I need to throw that question to you, too, because I'm not going to ask it to Boomer because he'd want three kickers and a punter on the field. But <laughs> in terms of offensive sets or players or anything, is there something that, you know, you just would really like to see? We're starting to get a ton of skill talent out there on offense. But, you know, how would you like to see it all come together? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I I would really like to see the um, the mismatches uh get created in our offense that we did see at UCF and at Oregon and seeing how we can move Wandell out and, and, and Hickman and, and just create these, these mismatches where it makes the game easier for Adrian, for example, to get to the ball to the right person. Right. And that is the beauty of this offense. And it hasn't always worked out. It does feel like from a personnel standpoint, we now have that. Um, and so now the question is, is can we get enough practice time in here? Um, and all those type of things, you know, uh, we've learned a lot uh, over the last few days of uh, how the next couple months are going to happen in Lincoln with uh, some of these kind of walkthroughs. Maybe, Honky, you can talk about that a little bit. But I, I think if we can get these guys to – um, uh, mesh with Adrian and with, with, uh, Coach Frost as well as, uh, Lubick. Um, it could be a pretty exciting offense and we could see some of those really dynamic plays happen more often. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned it, Dave, kind of what we're, what we're going to see over the course of the next couple of months here of the summer, assuming everything goes to plan. Sports Illustrated, they reported that the NCAA Football Oversight Committee Um, has a plan now on returning to play. And that plan looks like this, where it's basically June 1st, which we're already into. From June 1st to July 12th, they're looking at volunteer workouts. Uh, There's no instruction. There's no coaching allowed during that time. But between now and July 12th, that's what they're saying is allowed. From July 13th to the 23rd, they have required workouts can begin. That's six hours with strength coaches. That's two hours with coaches and film sessions. And that is what the typical summer, June, July-ish normally looks like. Um, but that's only July 13th through 23rd, only a 10-day period. Uh, July 24th to August 6th, enhanced training camp, similar to NFL OTAs. What, what, are, what are those, Dave? Organized team activities. Okay, so they, there's no helmets, there's no pads, but you can use a football. The coaches can be there. This would be something that's completely new and different, and but it would be something that would give you about a two-week you know, preface to what would be August 7th, which is the start of training camp. And this time we, we have like Omar Manning and Xavier Betts in that, Correct. right? Which I think is... That's an advantage to us compared to what they would not have been there for spring ball. So that's That's great. absolutely correct. And I mean, so back to Richard's question, I mean, all those players, you know, anybody that we're talking about that, that we'd want to see in these different offensive sets and personnel groups and everything, I mean, they're all going to be here during the summer. So by the time that we actually kick off fall camp, I mean, they, you know, they will have had plenty of chances at that point to, to get themselves into the shape, to get themselves in front of coaches, to get themselves, you know, ready to go. And, and Frost was on radio the other night, you know, and he talked about how 
Uh, the players that, you know, we're expecting to be playing next year, he goes, they're ready to play. They're all ready. They're physically ready to go right now. We've had guys that have been here since, you know, early May. And so I, I think Nebraska right. is on That's the great. forefront of all this. It's a weird off season across the board, but I think Nebraska is as well suited as anybody to, to, to kick it off. And so, anyways, if I had to give my one answer to Richards there, I just want an eye formation. With a fullback, yeah. <laughs> give me a fullback once, once every quarter – you know, maybe once or twice a quarter, eight eight plays a game. Eight plays a game, fullback, eye formation. Mac, that's not too much to ask for, right? Totally fair, totally reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, that uh, submitted to the mailbag, and uh, appreciate it. All right, good stuff, guys. Uh, it's been a fun show. I've enjoyed it. We've uh, hit very serious topics as well as some lighthearted stuff. So that's what the Redcast does, right? All right, let's get out of here with some parting shots. Honky, I'm sure you've got three. I do. Actually, it's exactly three. Uh, first one is on Twitter. Uh, Got to give a shout-out to Colton Braun, uh, at C-O-L-T-O-N-T-B-R-A-U-N, Braun. Um, this dude, he's a young guy. He's a graphic designer guy. Now, we have Swobes for the Redcast, and he's outstanding for us. But this is a young dude, and he's gone out there, and he's created – Several player graphics, like a Damian Jackson SI cover, Luke McCaffrey, he did like a PS4 NCAA Football 20 cover, and a number of other ones. Very cool stuff. Um, so we've retweeted him a number of times. Give that guy a follow. Um, second off, I thought this was really cool. Former Husker running back Trey Bryant, uh, you know, we all thought real high of him, and it was it was sad to see when he quit playing uh, a couple years ago, right as Frost got in there, he had the knee issues. But uh, he is back with the Huskers, and he's joined the creative team as an intern. And so uh, maybe oh, that's Colton, awesome. Yeah, maybe Colton and uh, Trey can get together at some point and do some creative stuff there. But but uh, you know, there's a lot of really cool stuff that's going out there on social media and everything. And Mac, you've talked so much about Ora Garce, and you know, there's just so much talent out there supporting Nebraska. I just I just wanted to call it out. And speaking of talent, the last piece of talent is uh, Brewmaster Bill. I mean, we love the dude. And uh, Brewmaster Bill uh, with Lumen Brewing Company, uh, he's created two beers, uh, Rob's, which is Redcast Rob. You've, you've heard him on the show. Red, uh, Rob's Dad Body Summer Brew Ale. And he has Honky's Hoppy Place IPA. And so those are now coming out. We, we're just starting to you know promote those a little bit. We're not selling them, so people are always like, you know, how can I buy them? I don't know. You'd have to contact Bill. We, we, we're not selling them. But... Uh, I just know that I'm now on a, a beer bottle myself, and that's kind of cool. Good stuff, good stuff. Hey, before I go to Mac and Boomer, I did have a chance to chat with producer Skip today, and he did have a good question I don't want to let unasked, and that is um, presuming that we have a limited capacity at Memorial Stadium, uh, let's say 30% of capacity, uh, how would you guys – actually fill that st- uh, that that capacity would that those tickets go to donors would it go to the student section boomer thoughts my initial approach would be i think the first thing you have to do is fill out your student section because if you don't do that then you run the risk of this being like a nebraska native harold lloyd back in the old silent comedies talking about football <laughs> that college football is just a a football stadium with a college attached. So I think the, the important thing is let's fill out the student section first. And then the remaining seats as needed can go to our regular season ticket holders. We have the advantage. I I guess you'd call it an advantage where, you know, we don't have just a bunch of at large seats to worry about. We, you know, most of our seats are accounted for in some way, shape or form. And I think maybe you just find a, the best way you can to try to distribute those amongst our regular season ticket holders. Maybe everyone can't attend every game, but if you can find a way to let everyone have a shot at two games a season, or this season, if that if that's the most they can do, I think that's, that might be the best way to go about it. So fill out that student section first, and then fill it in the best you can with the, the season ticket holders and regular donors after that. That would be my approach. Fair enough. Others? Um, I would just, like most things in life, have an arm wrestling competition um, <laughs> and just kind of let that sort itself out. I feel like that's always worked in the McGuire house. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd probably win, win a fair amount of those, Max, so that doesn't really... Well, we could, we could group it by age. <laughs> <laughs> 
I tend to throw a little bit of math into this. And if, you know, we have seven home games and typically I'm, I'm using real general numbers here, but if we're going to sell 90,000 normally and instead we're going to sell 30,000, if that's what this year is going to be, then, right. you know, what I would say is you cut everything into thirds and you go, okay, look, you know, we're going to give everyone, you know, 30,000, we're going to give everyone two games, you know, each, right? And that, if you did that, that would be six games out of the seven, right? I mean, you know, there'd be 30,000, 30,000, yep. 30,000. And then for that seventh game, I don't know, maybe you do that one with the Penn State one, you know, a big blue blood coming in here and you do something with highest bidder. I don't know how you do it, but you try to do something where right. the people that were already have already for years and years, and that includes the students, you know, anybody that would have been getting tickets in the past, you just try to somehow equitably split it up and, and go from there. I mean, that's the challenge we have at Nebraska where you have 90,000 seats being sold for games, and now you're saying 30. This isn't Iowa State. This isn't, you know, other schools where they're they're limiting their sales at a number that's still above how many season tickets are being sold. So it's a challenge. There's You're going to probably frustrate people along the way, but I think you got to give something to everybody that has been traditionally buying them, and that, that route would work. Yeah, I think that's the right route, hopefully. Well, hopefully we'll find out sooner than later how this all plays yep. out. All right, well, thanks for that uh, answer, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, let's go to Mac. Um, I don't really have any uh, <laughs> parting shots. <laughs> I, I I hope everything keeps on track and we have more and more football news to report there. That's the truth. Best wishes. Boomer. Uh, well, I guess my only last parting shot here, other than the uh, season ticket talk, uh, as everyone knows, the uh, Redcast's other great uh, passion is professional wrestling, and I just wanted to give a little memorial to uh, Mr. Wrestling Number 2, uh, also known as Johnny Walker. He had passed away uh, just yesterday uh, prior to this recording, and he was uh, just a favorite wrestler of the entire uh, Boomer household when we were young, growing up, watching Southern Wrestling. So he was 85, so he'd hung in there pretty well, but uh, just uh, R.I.P. Uh, Mr. Wrestling number two. That is a uh, a long life for a wrestler there. Very impressive. Good stuff. All right, guys. Well, uh, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. We are.